Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Brett Hudson. How are you doing this morning, Brett? Dude, we, we got to stop putting timestamps on recruiting podcasts or we, we got to stop like telling people when we're going to do a recruiting podcast, because this has now happened two times in a row. Last time we did exactly what we did last week, which was we recorded a pod on Tuesday, said we were going to record a recruiting pod on Thursday. And then in between the two, the smoke about the Brockermeyer twins started coming up and the the Alabama smoke was pretty strong with those so we were like maybe we shouldn't record a recruiting podcast two days before the top tackle and top center in the country are projected to commit to Alabama then that that exact thing happened so we said we were going to do a recruiting pod on Thursday and then didn't for news reasons and fast forward to last week the exact same thing happened again we recorded a pod on Tuesday Said we were going to record a recruiting pod on Thursday, and then the the Tim Keenan news picks up, and we're like, maybe maybe we shouldn't record a recruiting podcast right before a four star defensive lineman commits to Alabama. So the I can only take all of this to imagine to believe that the crews are listening, and we just need to we need to operate on their timetable now, not on our own. We need well, to operate. Either either that or we just need to not tell them that we're about to record a recruiting podcast so they can't mess it up. I don't know which one's the right answer, but one of them needs to happen, I think. Well, luckily for us, Cecil and Hunter Johnson were able to hop on with Chris Stewart, the voice of Alabama basketball, and get an hour and a half podcast recorded for Thursday. So people still got their fix of the Bama Beat podcast. They just had to go the basketball route, which, you know, I don't think anybody's upset with that. I certainly enjoyed it. I will say this, and I've already let Hunter know, um, the hour and a half podcast from a listening standpoint is fantastic. From a downloading it and uploading it into our system, it is a nightmare. So (laughs) (laughs) I told him, he was like, you know, Cecil is one of those people, he's very time constrained uh, pretty much all the time. But with that podcast, he's like, you know, me and Hunter were talking. And he was like, I feel like Cecil could have kept going for another hour and a half. He was loving it. You never want to take that away from anybody. I certainly enjoy listening to it. Just I'd let him know, hey, man, um, you know, we might have to do like a part one, part two kind of thing next time. Because that uh, that that was quite the headache trying to get that uploaded. But I'm glad we were able to get it out. And now we got the recruiting podcast and we have, you know, at since the beginning of the month of July, uh, there's been, I think, 11 commitments for Alabama. So we've had tons to talk about on these recruiting podcasts. And within you know, just the month of, of August, which just now ended, we're now on September 1st, but Alabama landed another you know, four of those 11 commitments came last month. So things started to slow down a little bit, but I feel like they uh, picked up some key pieces, including, like you were mentioning, Tim Keenan this past weekend. Yeah, so since 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 we last did a recruiting podcast, Alabama's picked up 
Damon Payne, a five-star defensive tackle, he committed on July 26th. Monkel Goodwine, four-star defensive end, committed on August 15th. Kyrie Jackson, one of the top junior college prospects in the nation, a corner, committed on August 15th. Jalen Milrow, a four-star quarterback, committed on August 17th. He flipped from Texas to come to Alabama. And then Tim Keenan, as you mentioned, the four-star defensive lineman from Birmingham, committed on August 29th. Um, so in that spree, as you mentioned, Tim Keenan is one of three defensive line commits over the span of the last month or so when you throw in the five-star Damon Payne and the four-star Monkel Goodwine. And those three join Anquin Barnes, the Montgomery defensive tackle, who was one of the first commits to this class. I think only Deontay Lawson was ahead of him. So now Alabama has four defensive linemen in, in the class. Do you think Alabama's done on the defensive line? Um, n- no. I mean, not based off of who they're currently going after. Um, yeah. Granted, you know, that doesn't necessarily – I think that if you if you kept it at five, I don't think Alabama would be super upset. But you're talking about Mason Smith is one that's considering Alabama. Um, I have a terrible time with his name, so I'm going to need to get your help on it. Tun- Tunmice? I've been going Tun Miss Adelaide. I could be wrong. Okay, Tunmus. Yeah, I knew it was Adelaide, but I was like, is it Tunmise or Tunmus? I, I like Tunmus better, but he's another guy that's strongly considering Alabama. And the thing about it is, you know, you, we, we know Dallas Turner is going to end up as an edge uh, outside linebacker in Alabama's defense. But when you're talking about quote unquote defensive line classes, I go ahead and throw those guys in, um, you know, w- with. With the defensive line, or at least I do in this particular case, because I just feel like it's easier. But yeah, they are loaded on the defensive line. As far as true interior defensive linemen, three-man front uh, guys, we're going to be listed as defensive linemen on the roster. Yeah, there's probably four, um, and and I don't think they're gonna, they're going to be quite done with that. Those two guys, you've got several others. But one thing with this class that we've noticed in the trenches, Alabama continues to try to dominate because the offensive line has added a lot of star power with the Brockermeyer twins, J.C. Latham, Terrence Ferguson, and on the defensive line, like we've already mentioned, you know, Demond Payne, Monkel Goodwin, add a couple like Tim Keenan and Anquin Barnes there at the bottom. And here's the thing. Anytime what we've figured out with Alabama, when they're targeting three-star prospects, there's a reason for that. And everybody, you know, they don't have necessarily the star power next to their name that some of these other guys do, but there was a guy, a big body player like Tim Keenan, a much bigger body player, but by the name of Terrence Cody, who was a three-star prospect, he was a, a space eater, really hard to move in the run game, wasn't super athletic, but just an absolute rock in there on the interior of the defensive line, and he was pretty valuable for Alabama for a really long period of time, and you got to think, I mean, like I said, I don't. Tim Keenan doesn't have the same size necessarily, I think he's like 6'2", like 330 or 335, but he's that rock. And Alabama, with the way that teams were able to run a lot more effectively on Alabama's defense last year, that might be something on early downs uh, that Alabama and Nick Saban and the coaching staff is looking to get back is that guy who's just an immovable object there at nose tackle or nose guard, you know, however you want to put it. Um, but what are your thoughts on, on the defensive line class and the offensive line class? Because in the trenches, they're absolutely dominating. Well, to your point about uh, lower-rated prospects for – for Alabama, uh, DJ Dale was actually the lowest rated defensive lineman in Alabama's 2019 recruiting class. And he's the one that started all season or at least started all season when when he was healthy. Um, so 
take take that with, with a grain of salt. You, you make a good point. I mean, DJ Dale was a four star, but he was outside of the top 250 nationally. He was the number 18 defensive tackle in, in the nation in the 2019 recruiting class. And I'm looking at some of the guys that were ahead of DJ Dale. I mean, there are two NC State signees, a couple of Washington signees, and a Virginia signee ahead of DJ Dale among defensive tackles in the 2019 recruiting class rankings. But he shows up at Alabama. Alabama had a good eval on him, clearly, and he is he ends up being a, a day one starter for, for Bama at nose guard. So uh, you, you make a good point about some lower rated guys in, in the recruiting class, especially at, at defensive line. You would, you would think that a, a school like Alabama would exclusively recruit defensive linemen that are in like the top 50 or top 75 nationally. Um, it, it's just not the case going, going back in their, recent track record there are a bunch of examples like terrence cody and and uh dj dale that um that fit that that bill so uh it, it makes all the sense in the world from that perspective in terms of the numbers on the defensive line if they were done it wouldn't be a bad thing they got four they had three in the previous recruiting class and even if you take out antonio alfano from their 2018 recruiting class wait did I do that right yes yeah the 2018 recruiting class there were still five defensive linemen in that class so if you take the last three or the recruiting class that played their freshman season last year the recruiting class that is about to play their freshman season and the recruiting class that will sign in December or February you've got eight defensive linemen that's that's solid especially when you look at the roster for this year and I mean is it possible it uh, taking transfers aside for for obvious reasons is it possible that Alabama only loses one defensive lineman uh, like if LeBron Ray has a really good year and he leaves as a redshirt junior that could be it I mean I know everybody think everybody's super high on Christian Barmore and he's technically eligible as a redshirt sophomore but that seems like a like a tall task. I have a high opinion of Federian Mathis, but I don't know that his redshirt junior season is going to be statistically strong enough to, to make the jump to the NFL draft without a, a, a senior season, unless he just makes a, a personal decision there. Federian Mathis is a father after all. Um, but I mean, am I, am I making sense? Like, do you think that Alabama already has the defensive line numbers when you take in, Five, 11 signees over their three most recent recruiting classes, plus a year where the defensive line may lose as few as one to the NFL draft? Yeah, and it's actually possible, uh, not likely, but it's possible that they return everybody. Like you said, he's a redshirt junior, LeBron Ray is. And, you know, if he doesn't have the season that a lot of people are expecting, it's, it's, and I guess at this point, he could be a redshirt junior next season, too, because this season doesn't count toward eligibility. So um, I doubt that LeBron Ray is going to be back as long as he can stay healthy. And that is, you know, a question mark. He's got to be able to prove that. But now being kind of ushered into more of a full time role, he's going to see a lot of rotation because Alabama's so deep on their defensive line. But he should be able to, to do enough to kind of become one of the more well-recognized interior defensive linemen 
uh, in, in the entire country, which should help him become a pretty high draft pick, and he'll probably leave early. Um, but that's not it's not a guarantee. So, yeah, I think that with, with where they're loading up with the defensive line class now, the other guys that they could potentially add to this class, um, it's it's looking like it could be a very, very strong group. And it's the same thing that we've seen with the offensive line. With what they currently have right now, with their four current commitments all being, you know, the number one or number two player at their respective positions, or I guess, you know, you got uh, – J.C. Latham's the number three, you know, still a five-star prospect, top ten overall, but he's the number three offensive tackle, and they're still trying to address that spot as well, and we'll see how that turns out. But last year, one of those seasons where they only added three offensive linemen, and they didn't have a whole lot of star power uh, in that group, but they had some guys who the coaching staff really liked as far as developmental prospects. And then the year before that with Evan Neal and Pierce Quick and Amari Kite and Dalcourt and Bowles, they loaded up on the offensive line. So it's the same thing. One thing that is always going to help Alabama build or have the consistent success that they've had during the Nick Saban era, it is staying stockpiled in the trenches, both offensively and defensively, and they continue to do that. But they're also stacking at other spots, you know, because I started going through, you know, before we hopped on this pod and just kind of looking at the class, you know, potential losses at different spots. I mean, you can take – kind of go through this and, and it's incredible. One thing I do want to cover because I thought it was a massive uh, development for Alabama. The fact that uh, Christian Leary, the, the four-star receiver jumped from being, I think just outside the top 120 to the number 60 overall uh, prospect in the 247 sports composite rankings. He went from being the number 21 receiver to the number seven. That now means that Alabama has three top 10 receivers in the current class as it sits, and they could be adding another one potentially in Brian Thomas Jr. out of Louisiana. He's the number eight overall receiver. So you talk about, you know, losing potentially Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. You lost Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs from last year. You lost Tyrell Shavers and Shadarius Townsend, a little bit of depth there. A lot of turnover at the wide receiver position. Added some, you know, talented prospects in this past year's class, but the star power is coming with this group. And so I think they're looking great at receiver as well. Oh, I, absolutely. I mean, they that was a position we, we must have talked about them possibly wrapping up their wide receiver position back in like May. or Maybe even June, because they did so much work with some of the the top prospects at, at that position nationally. And those were some of the first guys that, that signed on. We've seen them add the the offensive lineman and the defensive lineman later on. But the, the wide receivers were, were locked up pretty early. That was a or, or early relative to this recruiting class, which was notoriously late, uh, as has been heavily discussed in the in the spring. Um, but wide receiver is, is definitely a position where they're sitting pretty along with the offensive line. And you could make the same argument for the, the defensive line now. And, and, and again, I, I, I don't think they're done on the defensive line. I think they're going to add. One more, uh, maybe Tunmus Adelaide, maybe someone else. And even if they don't, or even if they, when they do add a, a defensive lineman, because I, I think they will, I'm not going to criticize that. Like, I think they'd be okay if they didn't, but I'm not going to criticize adding more. Like, I've been kind of critical of, of how many tight ends they have on, on the roster right now, specifically scholarship tight ends. I've, I've been a little critical of that I'm not going to criticize them adding more on the defensive line because I'm not sure there is a number too high 
for for defensive linemen on your on your roster just because that's such an important position and it's such a high injury risk position that you got to have as many scholarship guys at that position as you possibly can so they're they're sitting pretty at offensive line they're sitting pretty at wide receiver I, I think you could make a case they're fine at defensive line but they could add one more and if they did uh, assuming it's a, a well thought of prospect they would be doing really really well there um can we talk about Kyrie Jackson for for a second he's a junior can. college prospect a corner committed on August 15th and his commitment was interesting to me because this is the first time Alabama has gone JUCO at the same position in back-to-back recruiting classes since 2016 and 2017 when they got Charles Baldwin and Elliott Baker on the offensive line. Uh, they, they came close in 2017 and 2018 getting Isaiah Bugs and Tavita Masika in consecutive classes, but I decided to make a distinction between defensive tackles and defensive ends for Reasons I can't really explain. Leave me alone. It's it's fine. But the the point is, with Ronald Williams Jr. and Kyrie Jackson, they've gone JUCO at the same position in back to back years. And I'm gonna be honest, dude. I'm I'm having a lot of trouble taking this as anything other than an indictment on some of the young guys at the position, like Brandon Turnage, Marcus Banks, even Jalen Armour Davis, who. A lesser extent. I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to talk me out of that, but I, it's just hard for me to see it as anything other than a lack of faith in those guys' futures as lockdown starters at outside corner. Um, well, I have been hearing a couple of good things about Marcus Banks. He, I think he added close to ten pounds. He's up to like six foot one eighty, um, and and that's that's great. But that's not the most important thing. Um, but I have heard fairly good things about him from people that I've talked to. Now, granted, some of the other guys are the, are the bigger concern and you always want depth at cornerback. And I think a guy like Kyrie Jackson, adding him to the group to me is something that you would have wanted to have done regardless of how stacked you were at the position, if you could make it work, because I think his versatility or his potential versatility, as far as being a defensive back, is extremely valuable to a defense because of his length being, you know, six, three close to 200 pounds. He's extremely physical. He can play outside corner. I think you could play him at safety. If you needed to line him up over big body tight ends or big body receivers, I think he's a guy you can move around a little bit. And I think that could be valuable for Alabama. Um, I'm extremely high on him. And I understand that, you know, the Juco, uh, when you go the Juco route, your chances of being a four-star prospect or, you know, you're not going to be a five-star prospect, or at least not in most cases. But him being listed as a three-star to me means absolutely nothing. And I think a lot of people have also agreed and pointed that out too. Uh, When you watch this guy on tape, he is the kind of player um, who's going to be able to come into Tuscaloosa and should be able to earn immediate playing time. And it could be simply because he can play a, a wide variety of roles in your secondary And that's extremely valuable. Um, But I do also think, you know, Jalen Armour Davis was a guy that I've been kind of high on. I've kind of viewed him as a guy who would eventually take over as like the number three outside corner, um, rotating with Josh Job and what seems like it's going to be Patrick Sertan because they just don't want to take him out of being the outside corner. It's it's way too good of a fit, even though he can play the star. That hadn't necessarily been the the case with uh, Jalen Armour Davis, though. From everything I've heard, uh, which it's, it's not like I'm getting fed just ridiculous amounts of information, but 
you know, I, I tend to ask, you know, a couple of people, you know, who are, are names, you know, who's some stock up, stock, stock down kind of things. And Jalen Armour Davis, while I think, you know, there's still a lot of likable traits with him, I just don't think he's kind of taken that next step like a lot of people had hoped. And there's still plenty of time, don't get me wrong. But if, if they don't really view him as a guy who could be a future outside corner, if you're potentially, you know, talking, I mean, who knows what could happen. Josh Job could have a fantastic season, and you could lose Job and Patrick Sertan. And if that ends up being the case, now you've got two outside corners you're, you're trying to to find replacements for, and, and Brandon Turnage or, you know, I, one guy, and I want to get your thoughts on this, um, Ronald Williams. That was a player who a lot of people would just assume he's either going to start at outside corner or he's going to start at the star. He kind of provides a little bit of that versatility as well. I think Kyrie Jackson a little bit more so because Kyrie Jackson is a lot more physical. Um, but with Ronald Williams, have you heard anything about him? Because it kind of seems like he's not being talked about in camp hardly at all. I, I thought it was super telling that when the star and money positions were brought up, Nick Saban mentioned Brian Branch and Malachi Moore. Yes, very much so. I thought the same thing. Uh, I think that was – Telling and indicative, um, and I'm not saying Ronald Williams Jr. is is a bust by by any stretch of the imagination. I've actually got a, a feature coming on him later in the week, so uh, be be on the lookout for it on TideSports.com probably over the the weekend. He's someone that that Alabama thinks theoretically should fit everything they want to do defensively, but <clears throat> Saban Saban said it him himself. You would rather not move Sertan to star from outside corner because he's so valuable at corner. And they seem to have zeroed in on Josh Job as their other outside corner. So the star and money positions are open battle for Ronald Williams Jr., Brian Branch, Malachi Moore, Jalen Armour Davis. Who am I missing in that competition? Am DeMarco missing- Hellums as far as the money. DeMarco Hellums, yes. Yeah, yeah. So you're um, – you're- about five guys for those two spots and I mean again when the star and money positions came up Brian Branch and Malachi Moore were the names that Nick Saban said off the top of his head not Jalen Armour Davis not DeMarco Helms and not Ronald Williams Jr. and there was like three preseason scrimmages left to go but that that's where things stand right now on September 1st and I'll say this, uh, the fact – I don't think Brian Branch is overly surprising. I mean, there was a reason he was a top 50 overall prospect, or if he wasn't top 50, he was right there at it. Um, and so, so that doesn't really surprise me too much. Uh, but with Malachi Moore, he was a guy that I liked, but I just thought you know, he's going to add valuable depth probably early on in his career, probably going to get some valuable special team snaps, and then it'll eventually you know, – the hope is he can kind of develop – whether that's taking the the Daniel Wright route, uh, taking just a few years to develop, or if it was a thing where he was ready in 2021, I didn't really know. But I didn't peg him as one of those guys who was going to be able to come in and make an immediate impact. And those are always pleasant surprises, especially at Alabama, because you don't have too many of those. You know, you've got the Minka Fitzpatrick that comes in as a five-star prospect um, who seems, you know, college ready, and you see him on the field as a true freshman. It's like, oh, that's not really surprising. Even for a guy like Brian Branch, considering how highly regarded he was, that's not overly surprising. Um, but 
to see a guy like Malachi Moore start to, you know, work his way into being one of the top kind of defensive backs off the bench, that's going to help with Alabama's depth because I still believe in Helms. Um, hopefully, you know, like sometimes people just automatically assume when you go from being a JUCO prospect to uh, an SEC or division top Division one school prospect that, you know, that transition is going to be a lot smoother than it is for high school prospects because you've been going against college caliber players. And that is true. You have been going against better talent more consistently. But at the same time, uh, that's not always the case as far as the transition and, and kind of getting used to the top level. So I'm not ready to give up on Ronald Williams. And I don't think anybody else should be either. Um, he could end up providing a depth, whether it be inside or out later on in the year. I just think that maybe he was a guy everybody expected to contribute right away. And that might not necessarily be the case, but we'll just kind of have to play the wait and see game. But there have been a lot of freshmen who have been standing out and could end up earning. Now granted it's, there's this belief system that gets pitched uh, or at least it used to, I don't think that it necessarily does anymore. But to high school recruits that, you know, if you go to Alabama, you're not going to play for several years. And that's that's not the case. I mean, I don't think anybody when you talk about Malachi Moore, when you talk about a guy like Javon Baker, not Branch, um, (laughs) you you see guys that, you know, you thought based off of the positions they're going to be playing, how complex it is. If you're a defensive back, you know, the Nick Saban coach helps coach the defensive backs. Very complex in what you're asked to do. Typically true freshmen. Uh, are not going to be able to get on the field. And then you, you also look at the receivers, the depth that Alabama has at that spot, well, at least at the top, you wouldn't expect a guy like Baker to be able to you know, see significant snaps as a true freshman, but that's certainly possible with the way that he's been playing. And he's not going to be the, the number three guy or even the number four, but he could be the number five receiver and get some rotation in there um, to at least some extent over the course of this season. And you know, I, I think that's very valuable so all that to say this, you've got the defensive backs, you've got them kind of working through as far as where they're going to be at. Kyrie Jackson is going to be a, a, a very a, a very nice chess piece for Nick Saban once he gets to Tuscaloosa. You also have uh, Devontae Smith who's committed. That could be potentially you know one of those underrated signings as long as he ends up actually signing with Alabama and then you got a couple of defensive backs that you know the coaching staff is still going after do you have anything for us as far as you know who some of those defensive backs might be defensive backs in in terms of guys that Alabama's still looking at for the 2021 or yeah because I don't think they're even close to being done no no I mean uh, their their eggs have been all in the Jaquincy McKinstry basket for uh, I mean, literally years now, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they've been they've been all in on him from from the beginning, and I think the I, I don't know if it's necessarily fair to say this. Maybe it is. I think the the fate of their recruiting class on, on at that position in the second, or at least at cornerback, they, they're probably good at safety with Kane Williams and and possibly adding Terry and Arnold out of a. Uh, Tallahassee but in at corner I, I think their their recruiting uh class in 2021 uh lives or dies with getting or not getting DeQuincy McKinstry because outside of him there there are other candidates uh I mean they, you mentioned they have Devontae Smith they have uh they have Kyrie Jackson uh there are others but 
that maybe they could go to for their plan B and plan C, but everything lies with Jaquincy McKinstry at this point. That's not new. I don't think, I mean, he's a five-star top 25 prospect in the nation, the top corner in the nation, the top prospect in the state of Alabama, all that according to the, the two, four, seven sports composite. So Alabama's leaning, leaning heavily on him to the point that if they don't get him, they're probably going to have to make up for that in 2022 somehow, um, which I haven't really learned up on 2022 prospects yet since uh, we're recording this on the first day that they can actually uh, reach out to those guys. So time will tell on that. But if they if they don't get McKinstry in their 2021, they're going to have to make up for that in the 2022 somehow. I think that's the importance they've, they've put on him. Yeah. And, and that's been – cornerback's been one of those positions that I've continued to kind of say I like what Alabama has at the top. I like some of the potential that they have as far as their pieces behind those starters. But I think it's an area that needs to be addressed. And Devontae Smith and Kyrie Jackson are certainly great starts to that. And like just getting Kyrie Jackson, like I said, I'm, I'm super high on him. I know a lot of people are. Um, that isn't specific to me. But if you get a guy like Jaquinchi uh, McKinstry – then I think that you can certainly kind of put the uh, the finishing touches on your cornerback group, and you actually add, you know, between McKinstry and Jackson, you add two players who could almost immediately come in and assume some sort of role. So right. even if you did somehow uh, end up losing a, a Josh Job and a Patrick Sertan, you could probably weather that storm a little bit with the hope that Ronald Williams has continued to develop and he's kind of ready to go and actually contribute. Marcus Banks continues to go, show good things, and then we'll kind of see – where it, every, how things shake out everywhere else um, or the guys behind them. But to me, and this is probably, I guess, you know, we, we're doing pretty good as far as Tom. Yeah, we're only 30 minutes in. We're not going to make this an hour and a half podcast, cough, cough, <laughs> hunter. Um, but we, we're, we're moving along pretty well. To me, the most surprising thing is one of the final things I want to talk about with this recruiting podcast is out of everybody that has committed Alabama, there have been a couple of surprises, but none to me was more surprising than Jalen Milrow. And, you know, when you talk about needing a quarterback in every single class and there's a battle that's going on right now between Bryce Young and Mac Jones, it looks like it's going to be Mac Jones. I know that there's still truthers out there that are pushing for Bryce Young to be the week one starter. I'm not saying that he's not going to start at all this season. I'm not saying that whatsoever. I'm, I'm super high on Bryce Young and his future at Alabama, but it just looks like with the way things are starting to shake out, you know, uh, Bryce had to miss the scrimmage this past Saturday. Mac Jones looked pretty good. It just, things seem to be pointing in the direction of Mac Jones, but regardless, you know, I do worry. You you would have to worry if you're Alabama that whoever loses that battle, are they going to just stick around and be willing to be the backup? If you're Bryce Young, you might be willing to do that this year. Um, if you're Mac Jones, you're probably not. You're probably looking to go somewhere else after this season, and you didn't have to waste a year of eligibility. So for him, that's fantastic. He'll have a couple of years somewhere else to finish out his career. And you know, I'm not trying to put words in anybody's mouth. You just, but the way that the quarterback landscape it can change very quickly. And so them missing out on a quarterback in this class would have been, in my opinion, uh, a, a big hit because you potentially lose one of those guys, and then you're looking at trying to add someone to the JUCO ranks or through, um, you know, grad, someone into the transfer portal or grad transfer or something else to kind of fill out your depth. But you're looking at Paul Tyson and you're looking probably 
at whoever the starter ends up, you know, whoever ends up sticking around between Mac Jones and Bryce Young. Um, and, and if that happens, then you're depleted significantly at that position. So getting a guy like Jalen Milrow, a top 100 prospect, the number four dual threat quarterback in the country, big time surprise com, uh, flip from Texas. They added that um, Ewers guy or however you say it, the number one overall prospect for, I think, the class of 2022. Um, unfortunate for him, he commits and then the NCAA comes out and says, hey, if you uh, if you're playing this season, it's not going to count against your eligibility. Sam or uh, Sam Ellinger there at Texas is probably thinking, hey, I don't think I'm a big time NFL quarterback prospect, so I might continue to ride out this uh, Longhorns gravy train for as long as I possibly can. So a guy like Ewers might not be able to come in and assume, assume the job immediately. We'll have to kind of see. But point being, Jalen Milroad making that flip from Texas to Alabama, I thought was huge. What do you think about it? Yeah, I, the main takeaway was I, I saw – uh, the truthers on, on Twitter pointing out that uh, Quinn Ewers pointed uh, committed to Texas on August 14th and Jalen Milrow decommitted from Texas on August 17th to to flip to Alabama and the the narrative forming was that Jalen Milrow saw Ewers commit and then thought well there's someone who I'm never going to play over so I need to go elsewhere so I have to go to Alabama like what. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, that, that's actually a great point, and that, that's that's just not how that works. And, and Jalen Milrow's recruitment to Alabama is something that has been picking up for months at, at this point. Uh, Alabama looked at him as someone they could try to flip, so so they went for it, and and it worked out. Now, I'm not. I'm not going to pretend like I'm I'm plugged in to Jalen Milrow enough to to really know or not know whether the the Quinn Ewers commitment had an impact on on his status with Texas. I'm not going to pretend to know that. I'm also not going to pretend that uh, the number two prospect in 2022 committing automatically sends the sends Jalen Milrow into a tailspin which lands him at Alabama three days later. That's not how that's not how that works in, in recruiting, guys. These things don't happen on, on that quick of a timeline unless they absolutely have to with a national signing day crunch of, of some kind. Like these things just don't happen that quickly. So I I well I, I'll I'll say this. Um I completely agree with you. I will admit that the timing of it, it's probably something that if you're Jalen Milrow and you're considering making that flip and this happens, it might kind of push you in that direction. That doesn't mean that that's the, the reason why you made it. You just will sit there and say, well, you know, we got Sam Ellinger is supposed to be a senior. We don't know what's happening with this college football season. He might be back next year. You've got viewers potentially coming in or, you know, he's committed. He's going to be coming in later. Um, and I don't even know if this is the right fit for me. So I'd re- let me just go ahead and go make this jump. Now, let's also be honest here, too. Um, Bryce Young it just got to Alabama. He's going to be there for a few years. So if Milrow was really worried about competition, I don't think he makes the flip to Alabama. Uh, and that, So that, that's, let's be clear about that. I just think that there was a lot of factors involved, and I'm sure you know it's, it's kind of like the, the timing of – I don't think you – know, we don't know definitively that Tate Martell – decided to enter the transfer portal and go to Miami. 
right after Justin Fields decided that he was going to transfer to Ohio State. But you can look at it and look at the timing and say, ah, this probably played a, a factor. It's just with Tate Martell, I think it played a much bigger factor in him leaving than it did with Milrow ma- uh, making his flip. That is something that is worth mentioning, uh, certainly, because it did not play, in my opinion, it was not the sole reason why he decided to make that flip. And Alabama desperately needed a quarterback in this class. And with where things were heading, the guys who were available after they lost, uh, what's his name, that flipped to North Carolina? Drake um, May. Yeah, after they lost Drake May. See, when he made that flip, a lot of the quarterbacks were already locked up for the year. And, and so you, if you're Alabama, you're like, man, you know, we kind of thought we had our guy. He's going somewhere else now. A lot of these other guys have been committed. We need to go try to find a quarterback for this class. And a lot of people thought, oh, well, they just might not sign one. I think that if it would have been um, – you know, a Lane Hatcher type of situation where they go and just try to add any kind of depth um, that they possibly could very late. I think that that would have been possible because I, I, when you're trying to look ahead with what could potentially happen, unless you're super confident that you're keeping Mac Jones for the next two years and Bryce Young and Paul Tyson, you want a quarterback and you need to go out and get one. And for the options that they had available to them, Milrow is a freaking home run being the number four dual threat quarterback, he's, he's got a lot of likable traits. I, I really, when I first, because I hadn't looked in super hard to him until after he made the flip. I was kind of surprised, went and watched some of his stuff, actually tried to reach out to some people that I know out there in Texas to see if they could get me full game uh, tape on him. Haven't been able to do that yet, unfortunately. But he's you know a player that's got not only the, he's got the rushing ability down. That's, that's you know, right out of the gate. He's going to immediately be able to, to, to provide that. And for a young player, if he were pressed into playing time, that's always great to be able to just rely on your legs. You know, we saw it with Jalen Hurts. There was limitations with that, but during your first season, having that to fall back on when you're trying to go through your reads and you just haven't got there mentally yet, that's always super helpful. But as far as the, the raw tools of being a passing quarterback from the people that I've talked to over in Texas – from the the highlights, I'm gonna you know always be honest. I haven't got to look at his actual game tape, so I couldn't tell you a lot. And I don't, I only think there's so much that you can pull from somebody's highlights, despite everybody wanting to make evaluations based off of you know just what they do well. I want to see what they do on a, a snap to snap basis uh, to really get a good feel for for how good or bad a player is. Haven't really been able to do that with Milrow, but from the people I've talked to. And from what I've been able to see on tape, as far as trying to get an idea of where he's at from arm strength and going through progressions. He seems like he has the tools to where he's going to be able to eventually become a really good quarterback in college football. So that's fantastic for Alabama. And they were super fortunate to land him considering, you know, what other options were really out there at this point. No, you're, you're, you're right there. Uh, So looking at the 2021 recruiting class, they have 20 commits at the moment. Uh, If they get Jaquincy McKinstry, that's, that's 21 um, if they add a defensive lineman, Tunmus Adelaide or someone else, that's 22. Um, maybe they get a Marius Mims to bump it up to 23, the offensive lineman who was uh, Georgia lean but could flip to Alabama in that regard. Um, maybe they get Xavier Sori, the outside backer from Florida IMG Academy. That would get them up to 24. I still think Brian Thomas Jr., the wide receiver you mentioned earlier, is going to to LSU, or at least that's yeah. what the two four seven crystal ball seems to think. Uh, so, but maybe they get him, and that's twenty five. The, the point is, Alabama's recruiting class is almost done. 
Like maybe maybe a defensive lineman, maybe JaQuincy McKinstry and one other, and they wrap it up at, at 23. Like it's just wild that in March this recruiting class was like almost non-existent. And now we get to the end of August and it's basically done. Yes. I mean, 11 commitments in a two month span, you know, that's over half of, of what they, and before that, I mean, they, they went on a run there where pretty much everybody outside of uh, Deontay Lawson have been, you know, have joined Alabama's class since what sometime in April, mid April, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so the way that they've been able to put this together um, and if some if they somehow land a Marius Mims, I, I don't know that I've ever seen that before. Landing the uh, one school landing the number one, two, and three player uh, players at one particular position, like an offensive tackle, that would be insane. I don't know that that's going to happen. Did you start to say something? No, that, that I hadn't hadn't considered it that way. That would be hilarious. Yeah, that would be just astonishing to me. Um, and we'll just kind of have to see. But they're still in the play. Alabama's still in play for several high-profile five-star prospects, high-profile four-star prospects. And so, you know, the, those last five spots for this class is going to be really interesting to see uh, who ends up getting them. Because before, they were reaching a point where uh, they were – what considering where they were at in mid-April, that's probably the most surprising part to me is they had all these spots open for their class. And so you would think they would just kind of not take it, not trying to take a shot at Tennessee at all, but Tennessee, they've done a fantastic job with this recruiting class, but they were, you know, a lot of their players they were adding were three-star prospects. And, um, you know, people were kind of giving them a hard time about that. Bottom line is, is, you know, that I think they're doing a great job, but I kind of thought with where Alabama was at back in mid-April, you would kind of see a little bit more of that, where it would be them, the, the dominoes starting to fall, and you starting to add bulk and number and adding some quality players. But I thought by this point, with where things were at, um, Alabama would probably be, be sitting somewhere in that 5 to 10 range as far as the overall rankings, probably closer to 10. And I was like, you know, that's I think that's fine. You know, the days of finishing with seven consecutive number one recruiting classes are probably over forever for Alabama. And just because of how competitive, you know, uh, other programs have gotten, whether that be on the recruiting trail or on the field, it's just, you know, that run had to come to an end eventually. And I was like, you know, if you're still finishing in the top 10, if you could try to crawl back to that top five range, I think that's a solid class for them. But now they're bouncing back and forth with Ohio state for the number one class because every, it, not every single player, but a vast majority of their commitments in this class have just been high-profile, highly sought-after players, and it's been incredible to watch this class come together like it has in such a, a short period of time. And you've got other players uh, who are going to be looking to to take one of those last few spots and make it a really special class for Alabama. So, I'll, I mean, it's, it's been fun. This is probably the most fun I've had in quite a while covering the recruiting side of things just because of how – counted out Alabama was and how crazy, um, you know, they were sitting with the one commitment there in mid-April uh, compared to a lot of these other schools. Now they've just been able to bounce back and and not just bounce back. I mean, they're taking the recruiting trail, you know, by storm. It's almost kind of, it kind of has that same feel as some of the early Nick Saban recruiting days where they're just, there's a lot of excitement and you're, you're kind of just, you're blown away that just, I don't know how to describe it. It's not surprising that a lot of these elite prospects are picking Alabama, but it's surprising in the sense of where this class was at 
and you just see how this could end up being one of the best recruiting classes Nick Saban's ever had. And that just blows my mind considering where we're at. And it shouldn't, I guess, be all that surprising, but it is. But uh, all right. Is there anything else you want to add to finish up the recruiting podcast? No, I'm, I'm with you. It's it's <clears throat> Alabama's a lot closer to number one than I thought they would be. I mean, it, even if you go back to the recruiting pods in, in March and April, I thought they would make a run like this and get up to the top 10, maybe flirt with the top five. But I mean, at, at this point, Alabama and Ohio state are pretty much interchangeable at, at this point. Uh, Ohio state has 12, four stars. Bama has 11. They both have four or five stars at, at this point. It, it's basically down to like minor changes in evaluation. Like we've, we've seen yeah. them flip back and forth in recent weeks just based on small evaluation changes. Like this guy gains a four star and it bumps Alabama up a few points in their average rating. And this person gets bumped down and it bumps this team down a few points. Like that's where they, it, what basically what I'm trying to say is they're the difference between Ohio state and Alabama's recruiting class is a rounding error. That's, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm trying right. to say here. This is the surrounding <laughs> error, and I'm not sure that I anticipated Alabama climbing that high. I figured they climbed pretty high, but I didn't think they would they would get up to this. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. And when you look at the class overall, uh, I think that if you add uh, Jaquincy McKinstry, pretty much just adding him and really addressing the cornerback position and taking it from, you know, adding a couple of capable bodies to, you know, between Kyrie Jackson and McKinstry uh, to, you know, almost immediate impact players or immediate contributors. If if you're able to do that and you really take a step back at this class, the only thing that is missing, and it's not surprising whatsoever with what they did last year, is a, a top flight or even a running back commitment, period. Uh, like I said, that's not surprising considering Trey Sanders two years ago, Roy Dell Williams, uh, you know, Jace McClellan and, and Kyle Edwards this past year. They've just loaded up at that spot the last couple of seasons. So it, it's not surprising whatsoever. But what is surprising is how good this class from start to finish at pretty much every position now that you've added your quarterback for the class, how good it looks. And we'll kind of just have to see you know, how things shake out as far as, uh, you know, who's left. But those five spots, I think they're going to be filled with high-quality players, and it's going to help Alabama finish with one of the top classes in the country, and that's fantastic. So that's going to do it for yet another episode of the Bama Beat Podcast. This has been fun. I think it needed to be done. A lot has happened since the last recruiting podcast that we did. Um, didn't really dive a whole lot into player evaluation and and you know, a little bit with Kyrie Jackson and some other guys. But what I'm hoping is, you know, later on in the season, because I, I right now I'm still looking to get tape on certain guys, watch complete games, get my evaluations together. My hope is that eventually we can really dive into the X's and O's of things as far as the recruiting class for 2021 and, and give you guys a little bit more as far as the kind of players, not just listing stars and, how good position groups look and stuff, but really diving in to, you know, immediate contributors, or this is what this guy will bring, you know, that I love doing that kind of stuff. And I think that'll be valuable for the listener. So uh, looking forward to that eventually, but I'm thrilled that we were finally able to get this done. I'm thrilled that we had another prospect talk about uh, Tim Keenan. I think that was a pretty important get for Alabama in that defensive line. 
So I guess we'll be back on Thursday, Brett, doing a little uh, camp update with us to cover with that too. Yeah, we got a little bit into some some camp stuff earlier with the star and money um, talks, but in, in between yeah. now and then we'll hear from Saban and at least a couple of players, which I'm about to to log off to do right now. So we'll have. We'll have more updates on the podcast later this week that most likely won't go an hour and a half. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> and I keep I keep blaming Hunter like it wasn't probably Cecil and, and, and Chris, you know, just having a great time reminiscing on the old basketball season from well, it's, 2003. It's fun to blame Hunter for everything. Yeah, it is. You know, it, it, just because he's the one that sent it to me, um, I, I'm fully taking every chance I can to, to blame him and, and say, hey, man, you got to get – Got to get those uh, those other guys in line. Make sure I'm we're keeping this. this. Yeah. So, all right, man. Well, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, and I will talk to you on Thursday. Once again, this has been the Bama B Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.